Well, in our uh, first session this morning, we were given access, if you remember, into the very throne room of God, a vision of God seated on his throne in all his regal splendour. As we jump forward now to chapter 21, we'll find God still seated on his throne. And from that seat of supreme power and authority, God will bring all of history to a quite glorious conclusion. Have a look down at verse 5 of chapter 21. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see, the day will come when the one who is seated on his throne will speak again. Just as he did in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, when he spoke the first creation into being, he will speak once more and establish a whole new created order, one that will never perish, spoil or fade. Now I imagine most of you are familiar with this little phrase that's going to come up on the screen. Out with the old, in with the new, whether we're talking about a big clear out at home or a, a major renovation project or a new wardrobe, a new look for a new season of life, or even a change of behaviour. Out with the old, unhealthy, fast food diet, in with a new vegan alternative. I think we all get the concept of out with the old and in with the new. Well, that's exactly what's going on here in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. What we have is a, is a clearing out of the old creation, a world that has been so deeply broken by sin. And into its place, God will bring a whole new created order. And that's exactly what John sees in his final vision. Have a look down at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It is the same glorious future that is set before us in Isaiah chapter 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And that great chapter finishes with these words in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. It is a, a picture of perfect harmony and restoration. What Isaiah saw in 2D, John sees here in 3D. What we have before us is quite a, a stunning picture of God's new and perfect world. And as we slow down again, like we did in chapter 4 and 5, as we, as we try and see with eyes of faith what John saw before him, I think what we will see is something of a, of a continuity and a discontinuity between this world and the next. You see, in some ways, the world to come will be similar to the one in which we live now, but in another way, it will be radically and gloriously different. Don McLeod says this, there will be a great moment of regeneration, a moment of new birth for the cosmos itself, when God, who made the world, will pull it apart. Into its place, he will call into being a new universe, one which is a continuation of the old world, yet radically and splendidly different. And at the end of verse 1, we see something of that difference and that discontinuity. You see it there? There was no longer any sea. Now that doesn't mean there's going to be no magnificent beaches and rolling waves in the new creation. Remember, the book of Revelation is a picture book 
And in this picture book, the sea is a symbol of chaos and disorder and confusion. It is the place from which the beast and the false prophet arise to wreak havoc in this world. And that's why we read in verse 1, there'll be no more sea, because in the new creation, there'll be no more chaos, no more disorder. Life perfectly renewed and restored. We see the same thing in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Everything that we associate with living in this sin-broken world will be no more. Can you imagine what that world will be like? What that world will feel like? A world without doctors, no need for NHS, for any sort of health care. There's no illness in this new world. No need for doctors. No need for police officers. There's no crime to resolve. No need for lawyers, no disputes to settle, no marriage counselling needed. No undertakers, because there's no death to deal with. It doesn't mean there won't be those people in heaven, but they will not be practising. Can you imagine what it'll be like? I think it's very hard to imagine what that world will be like, because we're so used to, we're so conditioned to living in this world that is broken by sin, everywhere we look, confusion, pain, disorder, and disappointments. But in heaven, those four words that you see there in verse 4, death, mourning, crying, and pain, they will be absent from the heavenly dictionary. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. And like a loving father, God will step down from his throne and he will pick up every child that is his in his arms, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and with it every painful memory of living in this sin-broken world. There will be a glorious discontinuity between this world and the next, and that is a beautiful thing. But there will also be a great continuity between this world and the next as well. And that too is a beautiful thing. Have a look again at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And the word new that you see there in verse 5 is probably better translated renew. It's more like a, a total renovation project than it is a new build. You see, God isn't starting from scratch here. He's committed to renewing and redeeming the current creation. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 8. We see the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in relation to the new resurrection body. There will be a wonderful continuity between this world and the next. And therefore it matters. It matters massively what we do with this world. And it matters what we do in this world. You see, Christians, I think, sometimes have been challenged for being too heavenly focused to the point we almost disengage from the struggles and the challenges of this world. Can I say there's no such thing? The more focused we are on eternity, the more useful we will be in the world today. As John Piper says, I believe with all my heart that in order to be useful in this world, we must fall in love 
with another world. In order to transform this world for the glory of Christ, we must be saturated with the glory and the wisdom of another world. In order to be the light of this world, we must put our torch in the flame of heaven. And for the next 15 minutes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put our torch in the flame of heaven in order that we might be the light in this world in Bista and beyond. And as we consider the new creation, as we think about this glorious future that God lays before the believer, he gives us three pictures that take us right to the heart of heaven. You'll see them there on your little, uh, your little booklet. We have a picture of a heavenly city, a heavenly bride, and a heavenly garden. Let's take a look at this city first, which is, as we'll see, a picture of a restored community. Have a look at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And again in verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You see, in many ways, the Bible is a story of two cities, Babylon, which is a picture of proud people seeking their own glory. goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, when people set themselves up in proud opposition against God and the world has been going the same way ever since. But then we have the New Jerusalem, which is a picture of saved people seeking not their own glory, but God's glory. And this new community of believers, this new Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And as you see in verse 11, this new bride-like community shines with God's glory. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And everything that follows in this chapter speaks of extravagance and splendour. Have a look at verse 18 onwards. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of, of precious stone. And we get the list of those stones. Then in verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold as pure as transparent glass. What we have here is a picture of the restored church, which is shining with all the brilliance of God, restored to his perfect image. And of course, what we will be one day in heaven is what God wants for us now, to be a city on a hill in public view, of the watching world, to be a lamp that is set on a stand that shines forth the light and the glory of the gospel, the warmth and the goodness of God across this dark, cold and broken world. And that is your great job and your joy as a church in Bista to shine with all the brilliance of Jesus Christ in such a way that will draw people into his eternal presence. Firstly, the heavenly city is a new community of, of believers that will shine with God's glory. And secondly, it's a new community that is safe in God's presence. Verse 12, look again at this city. 
It had great high walls with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Unlike the first Jerusalem, which was conquered by the Babylonians and subsequently by the Romans, the heavenly city is built to last. It'll stand forever. Look at verse 25. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. You see, if you lived in a city in the first century, normal protocol would have been when darkness fell, you'd have shut the gates of that city, battened down the hatches, and you set your watchmen all along the walls of that city. Why? Because of the constant threat of invasion, which almost exclusively came at night. But here, in this vision of the heavenly city, the gates are not shut, the gates are wide open. Because there is no external threat. You see, the old order of things has passed away. It is no more. There is no darkness. The beast, the false prophet, the dragon, all that stand in allegiance with the unholy trinity will be no more. Out with the old, in with the new. And not only is this this city free from external threats, it's also free from internal corruption. Verse 27 Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who've trusted in Jesus Christ will be a part of this restored community, a people who will shine with God's glory and be safe forever in God's presence. Our first picture is a picture of a heavenly city. Our second picture is a picture of a heavenly bride, which as you can see in verse 2, is woven together pretty tightly with the image of the city. Have a look again at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. How? Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, the city and the bride are one and the same thing. The people of God coming down out of heaven to live in the new creation. But where the city focuses on community, the bride focuses on intimacy with God. Do you see it there in verse 3? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Here then we come to the very centre of heaven, a restored relationship with God himself, a picture of great intimacy and joy and that is why the church here is pictured as a bride. Because on the day we leave this world, we will walk up the aisle in heaven and we will stand before our saviour we will see him face to face just like the bride walking up the aisle of church to stand and look their groom in the eye we will look our glorious groom in the eye we are the bride of christ we are the church and on that day we will stand before our great saviour in a moment which will continue into an eternity of unparalleled joy and intimacy. As Jonathan Edwards says, the essence of heaven is the vision of God and the eternal increase of joy in him. 
heaven might well be summed up in the declaration, they will see his face. If you want a one-line definition of heaven, there it is. In Revelation 22, verse 4, you will see his face. The face of your Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so I asked you again, can you imagine that day? When you walk up the aisle of heaven and stand before God. A vision that is held out before us now. But then you'll reach out and touch in reality, in the new creation. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you'll be changed. For you will see him as he is. You see, beholding is becoming. Yeah? Beholding is becoming. The moment you behold God and see him with your very eyes in the fullness of his splendor, you will become like him, transformed like that. Perfectly restored to the image of God, a work that he's doing in your heart now, perfectly complete in the instance that you see him. You see, the best thing about heaven isn't what will be there, but who will be there. Because Jesus will be there. You see, just skip forward, if you would, to verse 16, where we get another description of this bride-like city. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. Do you see what shape the city is? What shape is it? Square. Yeah, cube. Square, cube, the perfect cube. 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. Again, the numbers are symbolic. 12, the people of God. 1,000, this number beyond measure that the Bible uses. An immeasurable picture of the people of God. But do you know the only other structure in the whole of the Bible that is a cube? The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple, the place where God set up his home among his people. And you see in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In the new creation there will be no temple, there will be no restrictions, there will be no gap between God and his people. You see, in the Old Testament, the whole sacrificial system and priesthood was set up to show people like us that sinful people cannot just walk into the presence of a holy God and be okay. There is a distance between a holy God and sinful people. But in the new creation, there's no restrictions. There's no distance. Just like the glory of God filled the holy of holies, the glory of God will fill the whole creation. It will permeate every single corner of it. And there we will bask in the warmth of God's goodness for all eternity. We have a heavenly city, a picture of a restored community. We have a heavenly bride, a picture of glorious intimacy. And lastly, we have a picture of life in the heavenly garden. You see, you're probably aware that the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 with God creating the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the focus in Genesis chapter 2 is a garden. 
And as God's big story concludes here in these final two chapters, God speaks again and creates a new heavens and a new earth. And the focus in Revelation 22 is a garden. And right at the centre of that garden, you should not be surprised, is the throne of God, the seat of our loving Father's rule. Have a look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What we have here is a return to Eden, a return to paradise, a return to life as God intended it to be. Have a look on the screen, if you would. There's just a diagram, the little table picking up on the, on the image of the tree of life, which we'll see a number of times in the Bible. You see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Adam and Eve have perfect access, do they not, to the tree of life? God makes a glorious garden, rich, abundant, life-giving, lifeful, joy, intimacy, anything the heart could desire. Free access to the tree of life. But of course in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, they're cut off from the tree of life. Remember the cherubim, guard in the way, displaced from the Garden of Eden. They've been pushed out and they no longer have access to the tree of life. And the rest of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3, is God's work of salvation to bring people back into the garden. To eat once again from the tree of life. And you see in Revelation chapter 22, when you are swimming down the river of life, a bit of breaststroke or backstroke or whatever you're doing, whichever side of the river of life you get out, there is the tree of life. It's on both sides. Point being, there's life everywhere. Wherever you go, it is just rich in life because God is a life-giving God. Yet, we live in a world where people are looking for life in other places, do we not? People are pursuing pleasure and treasure in things that will never save and never satisfy, and you will see it every day of your lives. People's hearts are going after, they are living for, they are giving their money to, they are committing themselves to things that will never save and satisfy. False pleasures and false treasures. The point of the Bible is a wonderful one. Jesus is the great treasure. He's the only one that will satisfy your soul. And he will do so for all of eternity. True life is found in Jesus Christ. And that is the point of Revelation 22 verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing where? From the throne of God and of the Lamb. All of life flows from God through Christ, who is pictured here as he is throughout the book of Revelation as the Lamb. Why? Because there is no life outside the saving, sacrificial, substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, who came into this world to bear the wrath of Almighty God in our place, that we might know life and life in all its fullness. Only through Jesus Christ can we eat again from the tree of life. Only through Jesus Christ can we drink again from the river 
of life. And so the question for you is this, which stream are you drinking from? It's the question the whole world must ask. The polluted stream of this world, which in the end will leave people gasping for breath because it promises much, but it sucks the life and the oxygen out of this world. Or the clear, crystal, life-giving waters that flow from the throne of God in which we will bask for all eternity. You see, one day soon, and this is where we go tomorrow morning in Revelation 22, 22, Jesus is coming soon. One day soon, Jesus will return from his seat of authority in heaven. And when he does, he will clear out the old creation. And into its place, he'll bring a whole new created order. A heavenly city, a heavenly bride, and a heavenly garden. A picture of community, intimacy, and life. And it all comes to us through Jesus Christ. And so let me leave you with just a few verses on the screen from Ephesians chapter 2. And maybe just uh, read these through to yourself for a moment as you spend a couple of moments reflecting on the immeasurable riches of God's grace that is stored up for you in heaven. You see there is grace in abundance for the people of God now but there is a, a new level almost of richness and grace that is awaiting the people of God in the new creation. And it's yours through faith in Jesus Christ. So when you spend a couple of minutes just reflecting maybe on those three pictures and the world around you, the community of Bista, who desperately need the life-giving waters of Jesus Christ, maybe say a little prayer for a friend of yours in your own head and your own heart and then uh, the band are going to come up and we'll, we'll sing a few songs uh, before we chat together around tables.